Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about overcoming trauma in your life. People who have been through physical abuse, an accident, a disaster, or other stressful and traumatic incidents can suffer mentally. Is it possible to recover from something so traumatizing in your life? Can you pick up the pieces, move on, and live a happy and fulfilled life? Joining us is Alan Arizeri Graves, a pastor and author of his book, A Quest for Belonging, Overcoming Abuse, Abandonment, and Identity Crisis. He will talk about his book. He will share with us his personal story of finding out where he truly belongs while battling and overcoming the long-term ramifications of drug-addicted parents, foster care, abuse, and identity crisis. Despite this unfortunate beginning, Alan is doing great things, and kudos to him. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. So, how are you? Hello, hello, hello. Vicki Doe, don't you know? I haven't said that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yes. guess, guess what? Guess what? Today is our 200th episode. You know what? You, you said that. I can't believe it. Isn't that something? I cannot believe it. How many years is that, Vicki? That's been, let's see, we started posting our podcast 2014. No. Yep. So that's how many years? Seven? That was during the Ebola. That was the right. right yes, it was. Ebola, right? Yes, it was. Yep, yep, yep. Let's see, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, years? 20, oh 21. Yeah, that's Lord. seven. Seven years. Oh, wow. You know, and seven is the complete. It's complete and lucky and all of that. So this is our year. So that's good, right? Yes. Runs. I mean, time just has blown and flown by. Yes. And like we always say, you know, 10 years is like a blink now. It is. Yeah. 10 years. It really is. It's like a blink. Yep. Yep. It really is. So this is our 
200th episode. And so we have been going strong, bringing in awesome guests and providing thought provoking. We have been. Yes. Motivating stuff, motivating health, you know, health and wellness tips, information, evidence based, all of that. And you, let me repeat to the audience, are getting your just due. You got an award. I ha- I will have to continue because people may not have heard the last one. You got an award from the Minority Health from Columbus, correct? Yes, from the state of Ohio. State of Ohio. And also, our girl is up for an Athena Award, which is the prestigious award given out every year to a woman who has done great things in our community and service is a big thing. Yes, service. Um, mm-hmm. And kudos to you. Well, thank you. Kudos. Thank, thank you. And it's an honor, you know, to be a nominee. So, yeah. Yeah. It is. It really is an honor to be a nominee. It, it, it's true because you're amongst, I've been in Youngstown for 30 years, and I remember the many, many women uh, who have been nominated, and I've known some of those. Like I was just talking to one one woman who won, Liz Young, who's the, now the dean of the medical school of Neomed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know Liz. Uh huh. I don't know her personally, but I've I've definitely yeah. know about her and her uh, records. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So she's come from. She was a rheumatologist, and now she's dean. So she was an Athena uh, winner. So we're gonna all be there cheering you on. Yes, yes, yes. So that's going to be exciting, even though we're going to be all very excited. We're going to be all COVID up and, and vaccinated and oh. and mask up. All vaccinated and finished by then? Um, I don't know, right? I, I'll be finished, but... At, that's what I mean. Well, you'll be still be finished. At our little table, we'll, we'll all... Well, look, that's what I said. Our table, I'm policing our table. I know that's so right. You know what? I wasn't going to say anything, but of course, I'm not going to stop wearing my mask. Me either. For those of you who are out there in um, (laughs) in podcast land, do not stop wearing your mask. That's it. Get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Yep. If, if, hey. Not get it twisted. That's it. So, yeah. Yeah, we're not out of the woods yet. But I'm so excited for you. That's fabulous. Fabulous, fabulous. I am blessed for this show to have my co-host, you know, my friend, Dr. D. Banks, and and we just love it. And so we have plenty more where that's coming from. I believe I'm just still trying to figure out where the seven years have gone. I know. This is going to be. Well, I hope you all out the podcast, man, have enjoyed us. Yes. And we can tell by, by our um, folks that are tuning in to us and people talk about it in the community about the show as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. Absolutely. Yes. 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 So we are truly blessed. Well, today's episode, we talk about overcoming trauma in your life. How do you recover from trauma? How do you cope with trauma? Or who can suffer from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, all of those things we're going to maybe think about. Well, according to the NIH, most people associate post-traumatic stress syndrome with symptoms with veterans and combat situations, says Dr. Ekin, an NIH-funded mental health expert at Stanford University. However, 
All sorts of trauma happen during one's life that can lead to post-traumatic stress disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder-like symptoms. And this includes that we never think about people have been through a physical or a sexual assault, abuse, an accident, disaster, and many other serious events. Now, according to NIH, how you react when something traumatic happens and shortly afterward can help or delay your recovery is important. This is said by Dr. Ferris Tuma. It's important to have a coping strategy for getting through the bad feelings of a traumatic event. A good coping strategy, he explained, is finding somebody to talk to about your feelings. A bad coping strategy will be turning to alcohol or drugs. Having a positive coping strategy and learning something from the situation can help you recover from a traumatic event. So can seeking support from family, friends, and a support group. Now, joining us today, we have Alan Arizari Graves, an author of his book, A Quest for Belonging, Overcoming Abuse, Abandonment, and Identity Crisis. Alan will share with us his personal story of his journey of figuring out who he is and where he belongs in this life while battling and overcoming the long-term ramifications of drug-addicted parents, foster care, abuse, and identity crisis. He will help us understand the power of knowing who you are and the importance of embracing the journey that got you where you are in life at this moment. And we can't wait to hear from him. Right, Dee? Absolutely. Yes. Now, make sure, guys, make sure you subscribe to this podcast show. It's all about health and fitness, Vicky Doe Fitness, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or on any of the platforms that you listen to our podcast. When you subscribe to this show, you will be notified when we post a new show, and you will be able to listen to our inspirational and motivational health and wellness shows as soon as they are posted. So make sure, guys, go and subscribe today. Also, right now, we are showcasing our signature online Vicky Doe Fitness health and fitness program, our Vicky Doe Fitness step-by-step weight loss boot camp masterclass, which is a 12-week comprehensive weight loss program. This is our signature program for you to participate in and to get that healthy transformation that you have always wanted. There's live coaching within the program with me. There's heart-healthy recipes, teaching modules, and our own Vicky Doe Fitness exercise training and coaching app that you will have access to daily on your phone, your iPad, and other devices. And most of all, you will have social support on your weight loss, healthy living journey. And so listen, you can take us, this program, Vicky Doe Fitness, with you to the gym, or you can have us at home to help you work out and to follow our online health fitness program. And so we, Vicky Doe Fitness, will be right in the palm of your hand. We are health fitness experts, and we are here to help you achieve your healthy living goals. So right at your fingertips, 
24-7, you will have access to us. So I encourage you to take that big step. Go directly to our website, vickidofitness.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the homepage and press the icon that says Boot Camp to learn more about this fantastic program and sign up today. What are you waiting for, guys? We are here. It's time. It's, it's the sun's out, especially if you're in Northeast Ohio. We are in Northeast Ohio, so we don't know. But, no idea. you know, at least go on the website and let's get started. We're offering a 50% discount for the monthly fee. If you use the promo code CRUSH, that's C-R-U-S-H. And so listen, folks, it is time to throw away those excuses and move forward. And I can't wait to see you there. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Well, D, guess what? I can't wait. We are finally having a spring break. <laughs> I know. For Kent State, it starts so next week. So you're going to be Vicky like all the other people that I see going to the Dominican Republic and sneaking into all these other countries and this, that, and the other, and this and that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, as they say, asking for a friend. Listen, I will be at my home in Casa and here in the office here at Vicky Doe Fitness. <laughs> uh, um, Completely understand. That's it. It's too. It's too early yet for folks to be breathing all on me. Sorry. Well, it, you know it is, and I'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about what's the latest. I, I mean, yeah. I know. So yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm gonna just be staying here, you know, and I can't wait. It's just a week that week will go by, but yeah, then we'll just have two weeks, and then school will be over, you know, and summer will begin. So. I can't mm -hmm. wait. Mm -hmm. I can't wait because, you know, once I get into the semesters, I'm like, oh, man, when will this be over? I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. You know, I'm sick of school and I ain't even going to school. I'm teaching, God. but still. <laughs> right. No, that's right. That's it. I know that's right. <laughs> so how was your week, mm -hmm. D? How was your week? My week was good. Oh. Uh, I worked last weekend, you know, I was busy with that, but we don't have, um, you were not seeing a big surge in uh, cases right now. And so I measure my weekend by that. So okay. census was relatively low. So I'm just keeping my fingers crossed back on my exercise program. I'm swimming every day, except maybe, no, I would say not every day. I would say I'm swimming at least four times a week. Okay. And then I walk the other day, you know, with my back and stuff, but I, I saw a 5K in July that I want to not run in, but walk in. Okay. So I'm in training now to get back to my at least fast walking days. So I'm back into, as we say, on, you know, I'm taking seriously health and wellness with Vicky Doe. So I'm getting my, you know, diet together. Well, not diet, lifestyle, all that. Because, you know, we have all suffered from COVID-19. Big time. <laughs> not COVID-19, but COVID-20. <laughs> And I was someplace the other day, Vicky, uh -huh. and I was feeling sorry for myself. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I put on a couple pounds. Everybody's obese. Yeah, everybody's getting something. They're coming out of the closet. Everybody, the, the coats have come off, the sweaters have come off, 
And the other day I was just kind of looking and I was like, wow, you know, they, they, they show this picture of Michael and of uh, David, the statue of David, who's all thin and buff in, in Italy. And they show what happens when he comes to the United States. You know, he's all big stuff, his BMI is all, you know, it's kind of like, so, you know, um, I understand how people are wanting to get out and to, but I just say to people, as I have done on the news, you know, that's another thing. I'm sure you've seen me on the news, uh-huh. the news almost every day or every other day. Um, mm-hmm. We've come so far. Yes. Let's just hold our and um, with respect to the gym, you know, I'm not going back into the gym, gym. Uh, swimming, for me, you can call and you can reserve a lane. So that's good. Okay. So well, that's, what I, that's what I've been doing. Well, that's And good. I was so happy to see you today. You know, I don't know when I've seen you last. You haven't seen me, even though you hear me. It's been a year? Yeah. Yeah. Cause remember- I don't think I've seen you for a year. Yeah, we just we just hear each other and we see each other through Zoom because we've done the Zoom. Oh, we've done the Zoom stuff, you know, in each other's company. I think it's been a year. Yeah. Yeah. We just have done the Zoom, the virtual stuff. But this was was the first time for the face to face. But I still had, you know, we still got the mass and social distance. But that's close. And you you my neighbor. Oh, I'm just really anxious for everybody to get vaccinated. Be two weeks out. And I'll talk a little bit about that when we get into what's the latest. Okay. So what is going on this week? Everything. Everything. Yes. Well, this month we're looking at Every Kid Healthy Week by Action for Healthy Kids. And this is a national nonprofit. And I really like they, they have a lot of great stuff that happens and great. How can I say it's a great resource to go to when you're trying to think of things to do, healthy things to do with kids. And so this month is their national month where they have their week Every Kid Healthy Week. This is a national nonprofit that brings together dedicated volunteers and partners to make schools healthier places where kids thrive. And so Every Kid Healthy Week is an annual observance created. It was created in 2013 to celebrate school health and wellness achievements. It was recognized. It's recognized on the calendar of National Health Observances. Each day of the week shines a spotlight on the great actions schools and families are taking to improve the health and wellness of their kids and the link between nutrition, physical activity, mental health and learning because healthy kids are better prepared to learn and thrive. And so for this year, the schedule is the Healthy Week 2021 schedule starting Monday, and it's called Mindful Monday. Their focus will be on social emotional health. So they'll be doing activities such as mindful yoga, you know, um, thinking about how they can, you know, talk about and have the, the kids practice at school and at home mindfulness okay so mindful monday tuesday that's tasty tuesday and they'll talk about nutrition and food access wellness wednesday the focus will be self-care strategies thoughtful thursday and that will be focusing on connectiveness 
relationship skills, and social awareness. And then finally, that Friday is Fitness Friday. And that's when the focus will be on physical activity and active play. So they got it pretty scheduled out. So anyone can get involved with Every Kid Healthy Week events. Schools uh, are invited to host a live or virtual event or multiple you know, because, you know, we still in COVID, but doing um, to do this, doing every kid healthy week and families and community members can participate by joining the events or by doing, you know, the activities at home. And so go to the website actionforhealthykids.org. There there are buttons you'll see where it talks about that you press and you can see all the activity ideas and and um, helpful planning resources for you to, you know, to get involved and to learn more about so that you can do it, you know, with your family and with your community. So I think that's a good thing. What do you think, D? It is a good thing. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. So that's what's happening there. But the next thing I was telling you about, and that's about the- You know what? You got to tell me about this because I'm like, whoa. Yeah, this is Deshaun Watson. Deshaun, and this is on CNN and it's trending now, but it's Deshaun Watson's Nike endorsement. Yeah, because you know how much I'm into Facebook and all these other social media, so I'm flipping. I'm obviously, I'm obviously flipping. Yes, you're going to see. <laughs> you you got to look all this stuff up. It's, this is a hot mess, like you would say. This is a hot mess. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so it says Deshaun's, Deshaun Watson's Nike endorsement contract suspended amid civil lawsuits. And so this is this was just dropped today. Actually, it says Nike announced Wednesday that it has suspended its endorsement deal with Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson amid allegations that he engaged in sexual misconduct against multiple massage therapists. Okay. Now the company told CNBC's Jabari Young, and this is what they said. We are deeply concerned by the disturbing allegations and have suspended Deshaun Watson. We will continue to closely monitor the situation. Now, Watson is currently facing civil lawsuits filed by 22 different women. Watson and his attorney, Rusty Hardin, have denied the allegations. On Tuesday, two of the women who filed the lawsuits against Watson spoke publicly for the first time at a press conference. According to ESPN's Sarah Barshop, Ashley Solis was the first woman to file a lawsuit on March the 16th, and she shared her story Tuesday. And this is what she said. I got into massage therapy to heal people, to heal their minds and body, to bring peace to their souls. Deshaun Watson has robbed me of that. He took that away from me. He tainted a profession in which I take enormous pride. I suffer from panic attacks and anxiety and depression. I'm in counseling as a result of Deshaun Watson's actions. I hope he knows how much pain he's inflicted on me emotionally 
and physically. And I hope he knows how much pain he's inflicted on these other survivors. People say that I'm doing this just for money. That's what she's saying. That is false. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I come forward now so that Deshaun Watson does not assault another woman. Mm. Well, the other mm-hmm. one. Right. Mm-hmm. The other woman who filed suit against Watson and released a statement Tuesday was Lauren Baxley, who wrote a letter to Watson that was read by her attorney. In part, the letter said, Every boundary from professional and therapeutic to sexual and degrading you cross or attempted to cross. Hmm. Well, Watson signed with Nike in 2017 shortly before he was selected by the Texans with the number 12 overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft out of Clemson. So ESPN's Schefter reported in January that Watson requested a trade from the Texans due partly to his unhappiness over the team not consulting with him before hiring former New England Patriots executive Nick, what is his name, Casario, Casario, I don't know him. Yeah. As general manager, yeah. So, that's what's happening with the um, allegations. Oh, no, I, I was under, I've been under a rock, obviously. That's what's going on. So we shall see. We shall see. Yeah, because, you know, see. you know, they have to investigate that now because, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I have my own opinion. I mean, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get the women coming after or men being held accountable for this, that, and the other. I mean, like, you know, we've got this thing in Congress now with this get guy that seems really kind of freaky. Have you been following that? Mm-mm. What is it? God, is this guy, he... Oh, you're talking about Gates. 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 Is that his name? Yeah, Gates. That's oh, yeah. Kind of, I mean, showing pictures and whatever. Yeah, now he's freaky. You know believe it. He says, that's just freaky. He's freaky. <laughs> and, but, you know, I guess I'm just, you know... I have my own comments about Cuomo, and I mean, I you know, I, I understand I'm, I have a daughter, and I have sons, and I just, you know, I, my thing is, though, when, and this isn't the situation necessarily here, but when people start coming up with allegations and they're six or seven years old, and I don't know, I just... So who who you talking about? You talking about, you talking about, talking about um, Cuomo? Oh, yeah, Cuomo. Yeah, but, you know, we're talking about allegations here with women and stuff with respect to watching and so forth and so on. You know, as my, as my, my um, cousin Ellen says, we have to wait for, for the judicial system to shake out. And in any situation, her story, his story, and somewhere in between is the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I forgot you know, about... his story, her story. I forgot about oh, Como. I think for me, and when we're talking about, when we're talking about sport, for me the saddest thing is all those women that were... Uh, by that doctor care those gymnasts. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was... Those women were traumatized. Very much so. Oh, wow. Yeah, remember that? Those women were traumatized. So, yeah, we'll just see how this shakes out. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. But, um, we'll see. But the latest... Yeah, what's the latest? Well, a couple of things. I was on television yesterday for Spectrum. I was on television twice yesterday. The first thing, comment that I made was talking about that hesitancy and acceptance and you know I want to say that you know the African American community has been you know labeled and, and it's 
issue with with mistrust and distrust of getting the vaccine. But what is emerging now, Vicki, is that it's not so much that African-Americans want to take the vaccine, it's access. Mm. And so in a lot of these communities, they're not getting access. A lot of the elderly people are not getting the word out. Now, I was reading an article yesterday that I was talking about on television in Ohio. For example, what I said, what I said yesterday, I said, you know, we know how to get people out to vote. We put boots on the ground. We knock on doors, send out flyers, we have media rushes. I think the same thing should be done in terms of a blitz for the vaccine. And what is emerging now, Vicki, is that not so much the African-Americans have mistrust and distrust. Mm-hmm. They still do, some of them. Mm-hmm. But it's trying to get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So that's problematic. And then number two, I was asked yesterday on another show, well, do you think we're going to have to have a booster? Well, new information came out this week showing that Pfizer and Moderna at least right now give us six months of protection. We don't know anything past that, and we're still waiting to hear about Johnson & Johnson. We think it's still going to be the same. And so Pfizer and Moderna are now working right now on a booster shot mm. that will include those variants that we're worried about out in the community. So that's the latest. So I'll have to keep you guys up on that. Yeah, well, they should, since we have to have these booster shots and all that, they definitely got to make it more accessible so you can, it can just be at the big, doctor's office. Big time. You just be in the doctor's office all the time. They need, they need to have tents set up. They need to have, you know, any, 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 on every corner. Yeah. Like I said, we know how to get people to vote for you. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you want somebody to vote for you, you're out on the foot soldiers and this, that, and the other. you taking the you know, bands uh, out, passing out flyers, and this, it should be the same thing for this. I know. So, you know, yeah, so I'll keep you posted on that. I was just thinking about what's the latest. Remember, I was doing what's the latest for Ebola. Going I, back historically, since this is our 200th, you know. This so. 200th show. Who would have known? Have you gone back and played our first show? What, what did we talk about? We, we talked about we talked about this coming up, you know, Ebola coming up. It, it, it was just it was just starting to to kind of like become something. It wasn't until further. And then you kind of start saying, hey, this is what's going on in Africa right now. This is what's going, you know, because it wasn't even talked about then. No. Then, then all of a sudden it blew up. That's when everybody started talking about it. Yeah. Sure did. Who would have known seven years later we'll be talking about us living oh in a my pandemic? God, a pandemic. And that's something. <laughs> nobody. 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 Mm hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dee, for keeping us up on what's happening. You are so welcome. Yes, yes, yes. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as 
older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about overcoming trauma in your life. Research has shown that learning to cope with trauma is the key to better recovery. A good coping strategy is finding someone or somebody to talk with about your feelings. A bad coping coping strategy would be turning to alcohol or drugs. But having a positive coping strategy and learning something from the situation can help you recover from a traumatic event. So can seeking support from friends, family, and a supportive group. Alan Arizuri Graves is joining us today because he is definitely going to be talking about his life trauma and how he overcame and is coping with it and doing great things at this present time. He has written a book, A Quest for Belonging, Overcoming Abuse, Abandonment, and Identity Crisis. This book talks about his life going in and out of foster care at five years old, sharing his journey of figuring out who he is and where he belongs in this life while battling and overcoming the long-term consequences of drug-addicted parents, foster care, abuse, and identity crisis. He will show us that in spite of any situation that you're in, you can still overcome and you can accomplish great things. And so now let's listen to the interview with Alan Arizari Graves. Now here with us today is Alan Arizari Graves, the author of the inspiring new book, A Quest for Belonging, Overcoming Abuse, Abandonment, and Identity Crisis. Now Alan's book describes life for children finding themselves abused and feeling abandoned when placed in the foster care system. Writing from an intimately um, personal perspective, Alan's story is truly compelling and insightful because at a very young age, he and his two brothers found themselves trapped in the very same, sometimes nightmarish foster care system he writes about in his book and where far too many other children find themselves trapped by no fault of their own. Now, today, Alan will share with us his personal story and his journey of figuring out who he is and where he belongs in life while battling and overcoming the long-term consequences of drug-addicted parents, foster care, abuse, and identity crisis. Hopefully, by the end of this episode, Alan will 
share with us his story, but he will also give us a message that for not only for children, but for all of us that says, listen, no matter what situation you are in, what trauma that you have been in or need to overcome, you can still accomplish great things and you can still have a purposeful life. So how are you, Alan? What's going on? I'm doing well. How are you today? First, let me say thank you to both Dr. D and Dr. Vicky for having me on. I definitely just appreciate this opportunity. I'm doing good. I'm looking at the window as the rain comes down, but oh, wow. oh well, a good day. <laughs> okay. So it's raining. Okay, okay. We have sunshine here, so that's a good thing. At the moment. I know. <laughs> You remember Youngstown. You haven't been gone that long. Yeah, you know how the weather changes. Youngstown, I love it. I'll never forget it. All right. Start out now, Alan. Why don't you um, at least tell us your story, but definitely how you decided to write this book about your life, but then also talking about the uh, foster care system. My story begins in the Camel Project in Youngstown, um, the Kerwin home. I was born and raised there, uh, but I was born at Todd Children's Hospital over on the north side, uh, which is now closed, unfortunately. And I was, me and my two brothers were raised there by our mom, who was a single mom, a white lady who was from central Pennsylvania, who came here looking for a job, looking for some more access to better uh, life. Unfortunately, that never came about. When I was five years old, I was placed in the foster care with the hope of returning back with my mom. Unfortunately, that never happened either. However, through the midst of all of that, uh, God's hand was on my life. I was abused. My mother was drug addicted. And so that's why we were removed from her care. And I remember it very vividly. Um, There was a little old white lady and two big cops who came and knocked on the door. And they said, hey, where's your mom? And we said, we don't know. And they said, let us in. And we were always taught not to just let anybody in. So um, we didn't. And weirdly, my mom wasn't there, but someone contacted her. This is the early 90s, so I don't even know how they contacted her. Um, She didn't have a cell phone, but anyway, she shows up and pops her in by that point, packing up the little bit of stuff that we had so that they can take us to go get a physical, to get our health check, and the place is in foster care. Mm. And that kind of starts the journey. They told us they just wanted to take care of us. They would try their best to keep us together. That did not happen. My older brother, Donald, was placed in a home um, on Bennington on the east side by himself. And me and my younger brother, Ryan, we were placed over on the north side. And so through all of that, Mm -hmm. my younger brother, Ryan, was four. My older brother, Donald, was seven. I was devastated. One of the things... When you go through situations like that, I thought that was normal. I didn't know any better. That's all I had known. Drugs, abuse, not knowing where your next meal is coming from, not knowing where your mom is gone for days at a time. Being raised by my seven-year-old brother and the lady down the road would drop off for us. That's all I knew. I didn't know I I had it quote-unquote bad or was being abused. I thought everybody grew up like that. Mm. And so I was placed in numerous foster homes over the course of a six-year period. Then I ended up getting adopted. I didn't appreciate it as a child because I felt like it was the end of my hope and my dream of going back with my family. 
Uh, but now I realize as an adult that the best thing that could have happened to me was for me to go to foster care and to be adopted because I either be dead or in prison. Mm. Um, and mm. that is as literal as I can make it. Wow. Because that's where all of my other family members are, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so I went to Youngstown Early College, okay. and that was a challenge. Um, I found myself wrestling with the fact that I was smart, right? I was very intelligent. I was gifted. But where I'm from, that's not celebrated. Mm. That's not something to be proud of. You're a nerd. You're a geek. Mm. No one in the hood in the project is celebrated for being smart. It's about making money, selling drugs, women. And so that wasn't my aspiration. But I thank God for my parents who adopted me because they forced education. Um, I was always told, get your education because that's something no one can take from you. And as a child, I was in the second class of Youngstown Early College. And I'll be honest, and I've said it even to the uh, current dean there, we were guinea pigs. They didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> um, huh. Now a lot of kids get associate's degree. Only one got We were there. And so it was a mess. Then we went on to graduate, and then I went to Youngstown State because that's the only school I got accepted in. I graduated with 2.1 from Youngstown Early College, not because I wasn't smart, because I dumbed down myself and didn't want to be smart, and I didn't like the mm-hmm. appearance of being smart. And so mm-hmm. that that kind of limited my options, right? All I had was YSU, but I always wanted more than Youngstown. So I started as a biochemistry major because I wanted to make a lot of money and be a scientist. Um, mm-hmm. But I was terrible at math, right? So I failed my first chemistry class. I was like, this isn't going to work. But I wanted to help people, and so I was like, I could make a lot of money as an attorney. I went to school for criminal justice, um, did well in it, absolutely well. And all of my professors were like, yes, great, we're going to send you, we're going to get you in law school, we're so proud of you. But I had this calling I was wrestling with. So I'm currently a pastor, I'm not an attorney. (laughs) And the Lord had showed me at 13 that I was supposed to be pastor. I'm like, I'm 13, like, no way. And I really didn't accept until I was 19. I was at a party at the Elk. And I was drinking, and this random girl I never met came up to me, and she said, "Uh, excuse me, sir. She said, you're out of place. What are you doing here? You need to follow your calling. And I was so scared. (laughs) Wow. I left immediately. Um, I've never met this girl again in my life. It was like, oh, my goodness. It was terrifying. And I left, and I said, all right, God, if you can use a random stranger, time for me to accept it. But I was too late in the game to um, change my major because I wasn't going to lose two years. And so I just graduated, and everything I did, I did faith-based community organizing. I worked in the educational realm. I was a teacher at Youngstown City School District. I moved to Philadelphia, and nothing worked because I still was trying to play that game of if I really want to set my calling. It just got to a point where nothing was working except ministry. And so I finally accepted that, moved back to Youngstown, and then went full force. And now we're here almost 10 years later. Now I'm in Arkansas, serving at a multi-site church down here. We have 1,800 members. Wow. Wow. Three services. And so it's a blessing. I do youth and children, so sixth grade until the end of college. I have about 300 students myself that I'm responsible for. And it's a tremendous blessing. So that's the story in a nutshell. Oh, I love that story. Wow. Wow. With that, then, 
you accepted your calling. What exactly does that mean? Did you did you go to school to do the, you know, because there's uh, schools that pastors do their theology and stuff. How, how did that work? How did you learn how to do your skill of being a pastor and all that? I found two outlets while I was growing up. Okay. School and church. Mm. Um, now, church, I have a real interesting relationship. I didn't grow up in the church. My mom, my biological mother didn't believe in God. She thought it was a joke. She thought they were just taking people's money. It just, it just wasn't good. One of my foster homes was a Jehovah Witness family, which gave me a very distorted view mm-hmm. of church. Um, it was very legalistic. Like, we couldn't watch wrestling because it was demonic. We couldn't celebrate our birthdays. We had to go knock on people's doors every Saturday and pass out the watchtower. Then the first place I had to go when I went to my last foster home, church. <laughs> okay. I told my mom, I said, look, I'm not going to church. And she just told me straight up, you're a child. You don't have a say, so you're going. And I was heated. I was absolutely <laughs> upset because I was like, this is the first, this is the last place I want to be. And then they were like, we heard so much about you hugging me. And I'm like, don't touch me. So it was weird for me, to, like coming from where I came from, to become a pastor. It is weird. I did go to seminary. I started seminary in Philadelphia. Um, okay. But my first weekend there, my uh, father passed away, so my adopted dad, I was like, I just can't do this. So I came home. Okay. Then I got my Master of Divinity degree with certificate in urban ministry at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary in okay. Pittsburgh, okay. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a great opportunity. But beyond the formalized education, mm-hmm. I was under Pastor Christopher McKee when he was at Tabernacle. Okay. Town. So I mm-hmm. really learned and gleaned a lot from him and our relationship there. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what... Yeah, I was going to ask you if you had any any role models here in town that were, you know, mentors for you, but yes, the, the minister at Tabernacle. I, I yes, used to go to Tabernacle sometimes, but I don't really know him. That's great. Wow. Yes, that's ma'am. fantastic. I, I just don't know, you know, going back to this to your story, I'm just caught up in it. Um, the psychological impact of something like that. So what was your, were you able to trust anybody? What, what was your situation in terms of trust or getting close to somebody or that, you know, that kind of thing? I still have issues to this day. I'm 30 now. I went in foster care when I was five. We're mm-hmm. trusting people and getting close to people. Um, mm-hmm. it, just, mm-hmm. it just is what it is. Anytime mm-hmm. you go through trauma, there are long-term mm-hmm. And so I have to be conscious. Not everyone is to be trusted, but some people can be, right? Mm-hmm. And I had to learn that, and I had to open myself up to that. Um, but I always have a level of skepticism about people just because of how I, how I was raised and what I went through. And mm-hmm. that's difficult for me because of the work that I do. I have to build relationships, right? I'm a pastor. I have to right. build relationships with people. I get to be with them in their intimate moments, death, hospitalization, life, um, birth, baptism, those moments. And I have to constantly and consciously remind myself, Alan, it's okay to develop relationships. It's okay to trust people. And just being honest with you, that is probably what plagues me the most about how I grew up. Um, It's difficult for me to develop relationships and to, because if you do one thing wrong, 
mm-hmm. for me, I don't have an issue ending the relationship because mm-hmm. it's easy for me to do. I don't need deep relationships because I never really had them. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, on to the next, right? And so that's that's just a difficult aspect that I still wrestle with. Um, I went through counseling and still periodically do because now I have a wife, I have a son, I have a family. Now people who lean and depend on me, mm-hmm. I need to be at my best in order for them to be their best. But yeah, those psychological aspects of the trauma I experienced are still very much so prevalent. So that means that because of that, I can see where some of that, the trust and not being able to trust folks is because you were probably pulled from different foster homes. If you started at five, then how how many? How many foster homes were you placed in? Do you remember? I remember four foster homes I was placed vividly. Um, but sometimes mm. you would be at a foster home for two or three days until they found your next called restroom. Mm. And so wow. I really, I, I remember four that I was at mm. for sure. But as a child, you really don't remember. Right. Um, and I couldn't access my file through uh, children's services. It was too long and they destroyed it. But I mean, mm. that's probably for the better. I'm fine with not knowing everything, mm-hmm. just knowing what I know. Mm. So, yeah, so, I Alan, between is five and eight. true that with, uh, I don't know if, if boys and girls are different or whatever, but at 18, you, you have to leave the foster care system. Isn't that right? Correct. Yes, ma'am. At 18, mm. um, there is no longer a legal responsibility on behalf of the state to provide you any level of support. Now, depending on the different organizations and entities and families, mm-hmm. you can continue to receive support however it's not mandatory but for me i was adopted when i was nine okay um, mm-hmm. in but my two brothers they were adopted as soon as they turned 18 they decided look i don't want to deal with this family i'm gonna go on my own that's their choice they're grown they can do that however yeah it's not a responsibility on behalf of the state to continue to provide any care and so children in foster care have higher levels of incarceration abuse, murder, mm. mental health issues, homelessness, because for many of them, when they turn 18, they give you a bag, put your clothes in it, and a little bit of money and say, all right, go ahead, here's life. Wow. Um, and so they're not set up to um, um And sometimes they don't have family to go back to who can assist them with getting on their feet. Well, they don't know how to navigate college. And so they go to college, drop out, and then they find themselves on the fringes of society. And so, yeah, it's it's difficult for foster children in America. You know, I belong to an organization, and I guess I just realized this a couple of years ago, but I belong to an organization, and our new project is going to collect up suitcases for foster care children because we understand that they don't even have suitcases. Not at all. Get ready to leave the home. And I thought, what a great project. You know, who among us doesn't have some suitcases that we, you know, move on to something else? And I thought, wow, this this is great. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So since you are probably, I'm pretty sure, with you and your church and you having youth programs and so forth, I'm sure Based on your experience, I'm sure you probably are doing some programs to help with some of the foster care f- folks and stuff down in, in Arkansas. What, what do you say for your church? You guys doing some programs to help? 
Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. So we've partnered with the county government, um, both in Faulkner County and in Pulaski County, because our churches are in two different counties. We have two campuses. Okay. Um, and so we have a couple partnerships with them. First, getting people in the church to even start thinking about foster care. It's such a great need um, mm -hmm. for children of color, right? It's a bunch of mm -hmm. Caucasian families who provide services, but it's weird when you've never seen or interacted with a white person on an intimate level, and now you're living in their home, and they don't understand you, and you don't mm. understand them. So wow. that's our first method. Um, and then we have food pantries to support families who are access to fresh food, none of that. Um, we do a program called Suits for Success, in which we provide dress clothes for young people to go to interviews college interviews and things of that nature. It's all donations, so we do that. We provide vouchers for students who um, are taking ACT, SAT prep so they can take those tests for free. You'd be surprised what a $49 test will stop children from reaching their uh, potential. Mm. Um, and then we've also done, of course, pre-COVID, we've done college tours just to provide exposure and mm -hmm. um, experience for children who feel like that's beyond I will never forget, I took kids to Alabama, Mississippi, and Atlanta mm -hmm. two years ago, and I had three homeless students who were on that tour with us. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that I made sure happened was that they had a hotel room to themselves our entire trip with their own bed because mm -hmm. they, they were sleeping in their mother's car. Nobody on the trip wow. knew that but me, but... During that trip, that entire week, they got to, they got to not worry about, you know, what are they going to They didn't have to worry about taking care of their sister who was, like, I think she was, like, two. And they didn't have to worry about, you know, who's sleeping on what part at night, right? They had their own mm -hmm. bed that week. And so mm -hmm. one of the young boys, he told me, he said, Pastor Graves, I really just want to thank you for uh, taking us here. And I got them sponsored, so they didn't have to pay for nothing, anything, meals. They got T-shirts at every university, everything. And he said, I feel like I can go to school now. Wow. That, that, that was enough for me. Like, I didn't care what else happened because I've been on both sides of the spectrum. I've been that foster kid, and then I've been that homeless kid, but I've also been in a position to allow them to just get to experience a sense of normalcy and be a child. Because foster children, homeless children, they have to grow up quick. They got to make decisions that adults, some adults don't even have to make, right? So it, mm. it meant the world to me to be able to provide at least a week when those kids and not have to worry about anything. What's that? Did you, do you know what happened to them, where they are, or how, how, that, how that went for Yes, ma'am. They're with their mom. They moved to Dallas which is about uh -huh. four hours away from here, they are uh -huh. doing exceptionally well. Exceptionally uh -huh. well. So I'm grateful uh, for the small part I got to play in, in their lives and making that become even a possibility. When we go back to your book, you use an analogy of putting a jigsaw puzzle together to your journey that you've been talking about with us today and as you travel through life. So can you... Talk about why you use that analogy and how it relates. I can kind of see that jigsaw puzzle. You were putting things in place. 
are you at the end or you got more stuff to do on that puzzle? <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. So I use that analogy of a jigsaw puzzle just because, for me, that's how life felt and still continues to feel sometimes. I always felt like I had to figure things out, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like my, my parents were capable enough or they chose not to support me enough to put things in place where they needed to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt like I was not only responsible as the one playing the puzzle or putting it together to put things in place, but I also felt like at points in time that I was that piece that couldn't find where it belonged, right? I felt like that piece that was, it's always that time when you got that one piece that's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I felt like that and I felt odd. I felt like, you know, nobody was going through what I went through. Um, and I felt like it was me all by myself. And that's how the pieces feel until they're put together. But as life went on, I found that every piece and every person has a place to which they belong. Mm-hmm. Every piece or every person has intricacies that shouldn't be looked down upon, but rather should be celebrated, right? The amazing thing about how God works is what I went through, I now use every day. And um, mm-hmm. I've been able to interact with kids through people like, you can't help them. You don't know what they're going through, and you don't know what I've been through so that I can help them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I use that puzzle piece analogy. And to answer your question about, you know, is it is it the puzzle done? Until I take my last breath, mm-hmm. the puzzle will never be done. Mm. I'm still trying to figure out where I belong, right? I moved to Arkansas from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. I didn't know where I belonged. <laughs> Mosquitoes the size of your hand, venomous snakes. Um, I never forget when I moved here in my apartment, there were uh, lizards in the house. Lizards? Ooh. Oh, no. Ooh. I've been and running I back to my house. <laughs> I, wow i went to my apartment uh manager i said ma'am um <laughs> i have an issue like a big issue she was like what's the issue and i was like there are lizards in my house and we have an issue she said oh that's the least of your concern she said you live by the river and so that's the least of your concern you'll be all right and i was like what <laughs> as i continue to journey through life i find that i'm still trying to figure out where i belong I, I mean, my kids are like, who are you? What's your name? Uh, what does it mean? You know, you're not from here. It's very apparent. When I first got here, they called me a Yankee. They said I moved yeah. too quick. It's very slow paced down here. Um, mm-hmm. And having been in education on the East Coast and stuff, it was just different, right? It's hot mm-hmm. here nine months a year. Mm. And I'm talking like hot, like humid, like Yeah, I know. Hot. I was born and raised in I was born and raised in Atlanta, so I know about that hot. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just quite different. When people ask you how you are, they really want to know how you are. They they want to <laughs> talk to you. Up back home in Youngstown, how you doing? How you doing? That's a means of saying hello. Down here is quite different. And so I'm still figuring that out. Um I'm currently working on a doctoral program. Okay. Working on a degree in um, leadership and organizational management. That's a puzzle that I'm still trying to figure out. How would that help me to maximize what I feel God has called me to do here? So, yeah, I'm still figuring that out. But I've learned to just embrace the journey, right? Some people feel like that puzzle, you got to sit down and solve it all at once. I've learned that while that can be done, sometimes the best thing is just take it one piece at a time and it'll be all right. It'll be all right. That's it. So, Ellen, mm-hmm. I don't know if you, if you care to 
mention it, but um, your biological parents, do you know where they are? Have you seen them? Any interaction with them? Or what's the situation yes, there? So they're still in Youngstown. Um, my uh -huh. mother, my biological mother, I've not spoken with her in about five years. Actually, uh -huh. seven at my one of my brother's funeral. So I've not really interacted or seen her since then. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I really haven't talked to my father in about three years. But weirdly, he was at one of my brother's houses while I was talking to him last week. And so I talked uh -huh. to him last week. He met my son, who's 18 months, for the first time over oh. FaceTime. And so okay. it, yeah. So, but I haven't spoken to him in years. So, yeah, um, I'm still in contact with my brothers who I was in foster care with. So through mm -hmm. that relationship, I get to have sporadic interaction with my biological parents. Okay. So do you have forgiveness? I've definitely forgiven. I've forgiven them both. And I think forgiveness is something that uh, we think has to be packaged a certain way. For me, forgiveness is I've forgiven them and I've come to a point of recognition that it's best for me, my own well-being, that I'm not in an intimate relationship with them. Okay. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't have to be in a relationship with them as a means of forgiveness. I don't hate mm -hmm. them. Okay. I don't have an issue with them. Okay. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't talk to my father in years, and I said, hey, how you doing? We catch up like nothing happened, you know. And so it's, but my brothers choose forgiveness in a different manner. They have depth. They like, I mean, my dad was at my brother's house, you know. Um, my brother, my other brother, Ryan, he still, you know, goes and sees our mom. Okay. Twice a week. I mean, it just looks different for different oh, okay. people. Yeah. But just for me, I've chosen a different route. I'm okay with it. Okay. Everybody has to seek their own level. Absolutely. This has been in, in, inspiring, though. I'm I'm, I'm proud of you. I, you know, I want to nominate you for the CNN Award of the Year. <laughs> you know, that award. <laughs> you may be hearing from me. I mean, your story is just absolutely, it's just so poignant, mm -hmm. the word for it. And then ultimately those things, not only the story, you know, but it's also what you have done, how you have given back the service that you have rendered to people in your you know, relatively short life. I mean, you're not really old. And the stuff that you've done um, to give back and the service that you've given to your community is just absolutely fantastic. How many kids have you touched? You know, you probably don't even know. Mm -hmm. I don't. I know I have 300 at New Hope that I touch quite intimately. And that whew, that's a lot. But I taught in Youngstown City Schools. I was youth director at Tabernacle ran Freedom Schools with Miss Lois Thornton and did stuff through YSU. I know her. Uh-huh. And so there have been many uh, many kids. And as as you said, it's just a service I render. I've been blessed by people investing in me and pouring into me. And I feel like it's the least I can do to just give back. And this is my calling, right? I love young people. And, and in particular, I love working with the people that they Seem unlovable because I was once like mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. I didn't have an issue mm -hmm. telling you get away from me because I don't want to be bothered. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Mm -hmm. I was up for expulsion because I pushed the teacher in high school. Like I, mm. I was that unlovable kid. I didn't have a problem cussing mm. you out. Um, mm. Adult, child, doctor, bum. It didn't. That was me. And so I just, 
I was the recipient of so much that I just feel like it's the least I can do to give back to um, those who stand in need of love, you know, and that's really what it comes down to, in my opinion. If we can love uh, people and love children who come from broken homes, healing can happen, and it is possible, um, but we got to make that long-term investment. It's not going to happen overnight. Brokenness doesn't occur overnight, neither does putting it back together. All right. So tell me now, when people read your book, what do you want them to get out of this book? Your book is called A Quest for Belonging, Overcoming Abuse, Abandonment, and Identity Crisis. So when folks go buy your book, what do you want them to get out of that? Yes, ma'am. I want them to see that even though broken, even though people come from broken places, that doesn't give them a death. By God's grace, I've been able to accomplish a lot in my short 30 years, but I've done plenty of things and plenty of things have happened to me that have, some some people, are, I've, I've been told, you know, by family members, you never make it to 18, you talk too much, you, you, you're too angry, you'll be dead or locked up, and they were probably right if I didn't change, but I don't want people to give up on people so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, looking at my story, many people would have wrote me off as not worth investing. But mm-hmm. like I said, through many people's time, through God's grace and mercy, here mm-hmm. I am today. Um, it it reminds me of that teacher. song that, uh, there's a song that Reverend Martin Sapp sings. I don't know if you remember that song where he talks about how everybody wrote him off, you know, he didn't mm-hmm. have any, you know, and, and then he, you know, then he, then there was that uncle or something, you know, well, the uncle and all of them wrote him off, and then there was, there was still those people that believed in him, which is, you know, yeah. your story. And all it takes is one person, right? It takes one person who really believes in you, who will encourage you and push you to that next level of greatness. And i never forget in, like, 10th grade, my history teacher, Miss Pence, told me, she said, Alan, you never graduate from high school. And I said, okay. And she said, um, and if by chance you do, you certainly won't graduate from college because you're not smart mm. enough. And that was my 10th grade history teacher. And I mm-hmm. said, okay. And I had a choice, right? I, t- I had mm-hmm. a choice. How would I respond to, to cuss her out? <laughs> I could go <laughs> knock her out. Or I could prove uh, her wrong. Um, right. Yeah. The amazing the thing is, is the that's mm-hmm. it. And then, look, I get my doctorate in a year and a half. That's it. I will go mm-hmm. back to her and let her know that I am now Dr. Allen. I was very grave. It's a pleasure right. to meet you. Mm. Yeah. But, like I tell That's my That's how I want you to get out of that book. Don't give up on folks. Don't give up on people because you never know who might become great, right? And so that's mm-hmm. what I really want you to get. And then I want the voices of children in foster care to be heard. Because we have these mm-hmm. preconceived notions and these prejudices about what that means. Mm-hmm. But no, no, um, you don't know people's stories. And so mm-hmm. mine was because of drug abuse. I was I probably interacted with 500 kids throughout my foster care journey. Some people's parents just died. They died. They woke up one morning and their parents were dead. They didn't do nothing mm-hmm. to deserve to be there. I didn't do nothing to deserve to be there. My parents made choices and decisions. Mm-hmm. But just because someone has a label attached them mm. doesn't automatically come with a conversation, right? Mm. Everyone should be mm. given a fair chance, and that's what I want to get from the book. Wow, this has been this has been. I can't even. I talk. mean, I can't I, talk. 
sitting here going, wow, just wow. I'm so glad to have you today, Alan. What a story. And did I hear you say you were 30? I am. Yes, ma'am. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yes, yes. And I saw you on, I, I have to tell you, you have a wonderful presence as a minister. I saw you on a YouTube, and because and, I just want to sit, you know, when we do podcasts, I want to sit the name with the voice, mm-hmm. so forth, mm-hmm. see what you, as they say, see what you look like, and uh, <laughs> you've got a wonderful, <laughs> well, you have a wonderful presence in the uh, uh, pulpit. If you can't get a feel for thank your you. whole church, it's good for you. Yeah, good for thank you. you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Are you in Little Rock, or where, where are you in another city? It's like Boardman, Youngstown. I'm in North Little oh, okay. Rock. I'm across the river. Gotcha. I'm across okay. the river, um, and that river separates just like Midlothian Boulevard. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a different oh, world, okay. um, but uh-huh. I, I call it As we used rock. to say, the air is different. <laughs> it is. Even it the is, air is different. I mean, even yeah. though the air is different, uh, it's still it's the same to me. But, yeah. Okay. Well, that's so good. we're here in Little Rock, Arkansas. Little oh. Rock, Arkansas. Great. Okay, so how can folks get in touch with you, and where can they buy your book? So I can be contacted on Facebook, Alan Irisberry Gray Sr., or I can you can purchase the book on Amazon. Um, it's ebook as well as in print. A quest for belonging, overcoming abuse, abandonment, and identity crisis. I would love for you all to check it out. Let me know your thoughts. I also put my email address on the back of it. If you have any additional questions or comments or want to just reach out and talk to me, I love to do that. And weirdly, people have actually been emailing me. I talked to my brother's third grade teacher who didn't know what happened to us. So it's, it's been a great opportunity to connect with people. Again, Quest for Belonging, Overcoming Abuse, Abandonment, and Identity Crisis on Amazon. All right. And thank you so much. This ends our show, Dee. Do you have some tips that we should think about? Oh my God, I'm just I'm I'm just overwhelmed. Uh, it was a fantastic interview with a young man that came from such um, you know adversity mm-hmm. and turned it into a positive thing of helping so many people. I mean, he talked about how he's right now counting a three hundred plus young students, young young. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just amazed at his journey. It was fabulous. You know, we just sort of sat there. We just, I just kept going, you know? I know, I know. Kudos to him. And I think that the, the message was don't give up on people. Just because some people, somebody has given up on somebody, that, that people are always something redeemable about everybody. And just don't give up on them and reach out and try to help people. Reach out and try to help people. Yeah, because you just never know why a person is in is in foster care or what have you. Because remember, he was remember he was saying that some of the some of the kids they got in the foster care system just because their parents died. Exactly, because their parents died, they just up and died. Yeah, and then there they were. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it was very very good, Vicky. Yeah, it was very inspiring and I love it was. I love that. Yeah. He was he was in Youngstown, Ohio, but he has yeah. he has gone many places. Pittsburgh, yeah, now he's in Arkansas, right? Yeah. Right outside of Little Rock. 
in the verb and <laughs> and doing great verb. things doing great things yeah. and he's working yeah. on his his doctorate degree and so yes yeah. yes young man has a master of divinity i mean i'm telling you he's just it's amazing it's amazing and so kudos yeah. to him and so folks yeah. make sure make sure you go get his book a quest for belonging Overcoming Abuse, Abandonment, and Identity Crisis. It is on Amazon. So make sure, yes, make sure you get this book and be inspired with his story. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.